as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Local leaders doing their part to observe Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And there's a special event that's coming up on October 3rd. We got local leadership and they will be meeting along with Mujeres Unidas and other folks on the front line of dealing with domestic violence. And we bring now our district attorney for Hidalgo County, Terry Palacios, who will be part of that conversation. Terry, welcome back to the program. Let's start with how your office, your prosecutors, deal with domestic violence. How often do you see it? Would you say that it's an issue that you see less of, hopefully, or are you seeing more more cases of domestic violence in Hidalgo County? I think with this domestic violence awareness, I think we're seeing a little bit less but we still have a whole bunch of domestic violence out there. Uh, you know, we prosecute or we get, uh, we handle over 9,000 cases every year of domestic violence. Wow. Uh, which sends anyone from sexual assaults to, to class A misdemeanors. And, and that's still too many, too many cases. Sex assault, you know, that's pretty extreme. What would, it, would it, what would a class A misdemeanor be, Terry? What, what would that be? It, it, it just, uh, Hitting somebody, causing bodily injury, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and it's a class A. Now we have uh, new laws out there saying that if you do it twice, then it's a continuous. It goes to a to a third degree, which carries a, punch, a possible punishment from two to ten years in jail. Uh, so, you know, the more convictions you have, and you know what, uh, you don't even have to have a conviction. The more calls you got to the house, we can charge you with a continuous uh, abuse of, of of spouse or mm-hmm. or uh, of a family member. The 9,000 cases or so that you and folks at the DA's office deal with, how many of those, just ballpark figuratory, how many of those would be repeat offenders? You know, we're, I think we're looking, at, not sure, not absolutely sure, maybe one-third of them, maybe half of them, you know, are repeat offenders. And, and, and we're talking about people that finally report, and then they come back and finally report again. Because, you know, a person that's been abused or, or takes abuse, it's been abused before. She just never reports it. It's one of the hardest crimes you can you can report. You know, uh, you're calling uh, the police on your loved one. Then that person may be your source of income, your source of support for your children. It's hard to do that. And I applaud those those uh, victims that do call because you know we got to break the the cycle of violence because if our kids see it, you know it's going to continue and they're going to think it's okay. Local leadership doing their part to observe and, and provide awareness of domestic violence. So our guest right now, District Attorney for Hidalgo County, Terry Palacios. Yeah, Terry, Tim Sullivan here. So when you hold these get-togethers uh, to raise awareness to the problem of domestic violence, these get-togethers, seminars, uh, raising awareness, uh, exhibitions, what's the message or, or who are you targeting the message to? Because it's got... 
that message has got to go to the abuser. Yes, we're trying to target everybody for now uh, and, and let them know, look, there is support. There is nonprofit organizations that will help you. You're not alone on this. And a lot of times you feel like you're alone and you're not alone. So, you know, Hidalgo uh, Police Department has a real nice uh, type of awareness where they, they have this uh, bingo just for ladies. And we don't tell them what it's about until we, got, until we start playing bingo. So a lot of times, uh, you know, they just show up and we start talking about awareness, domestic violence awareness. And Hidalgo PD came up with a brilliant plan. We go out there and, and we tell them, look, even if you're not a victim, you see your 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 child, your your daughter, your uh, uncle, your aunt, anybody that that you think is a victim, make a report. You know it's not right. But is yeah. But how do you target the um, the abuser? How what programs are out there mm. that may be able to uh, change the abuser's mindset to get you know just to get rid of rid of that. Well, there there is counseling. There is counseling not only for our victims but for the abuser. I, you know, any any time uh, somebody gets charged uh, uh, for domestic violence, mm-hmm. we make them go through a program that's kind of uh, the condition probation. Okay. And hopefully they don't see it as punishment. Hopefully it, they see it as an improvement for them. You know, uh, on a, a change of life for them. Yes. And a lot of times. They don't see it that way. They think it's just punishment. I'm just going to go sit through the class because I have to. And, and, and it's not about that. It's about what they can get out of it to be better people. And to break that cycle. Exactly. Yeah. Be- because as you cycle, mentioned, it, it seems to run in the family oftentimes. Oh, yes. And, and, and it hits, unfortunately, the lower income people where you have to stay with your spouse because that's the only way he's the only one bringing in the money. Uh, it, it, or she's the only one bringing in the money. Uh, it, 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 you know, that's that's who we're trying to target. You pivoted from he to to she on that one, which was going to be one of yeah, well, going to be one of my questions. Yeah, um, <laughs> how many of these cases? Most of are. Yeah, most are women, but how many do you find where, you know, there's violence and you know the man is being subjected, being kicked around. Not, not very many because, you know, men have a lot of pride and they just won't report it and they're afraid you're going to make fun of them. But there is some out there, believe mm, it or not. Interesting. Uh, there is women that are abusive to their spouse. Uh, and and uh, But, you know, as, as men, will, I don't know why. You know, you want to report it. I mean, oh, he's coming yeah, here because no. his wife beat him. No, I understand. Yeah, what, it, yeah which know, also begs a question, pride, Terry. But, uh, Terry Palacios, our district attorney for Hidalgo County. We're, ta- we're talking about this event that's coming up on October 3rd. It is uh, the annual Unbreakable Domestic Violence Awareness Month uh, press event that they provide some information on domestic violence. Underreported domestic violence incidents. Have folks at Mujeres Unidas or folks at the the Texas Council on Family Violence, have they ever expressed to you how many they suspect, how many domestic violence cases go underreported, unreported completely? Maybe 50, 75% of the cases go unreported? Do you know? I think about 50%, unless there's a beating that's, that's very, you know, visible. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts small and it gets bigger and bigger. I mean, we just had a murder-suicide this past weekend out of McAllen. Oh, man, you know, that's it, true. And, and that's what it escalates to, you know, uh, basically. Nobody's nobody else's property, and a lot of spouses think, "Hey, you're mine, and you're only mine." You know, and, and that's not the way it works. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. Well, on October 3rd at the Mission Special Events Center, 6 p.m., tell me a bit more about this get-together, this un- unbreakable uh, awareness um, event. It, it, it's basically a get-together for the public. We're going to have a lot of, uh, you know, performances out there and just basically trying to bring out the public and, and at the same time giving them some uh, domestic violence awareness. Uh, we're going to have booths set up by Mujeres Unidas, Angels of Love, and other organizations that, that assist uh, of victims so they can know, you know, even nowadays we got advocates in, in our police departments, you get advocates in in, uh, in the DA's office just to let them know, you know what, you've got support. There's people that care. Our community cares about victims. Yeah. So go out there uh, and, and enjoy yourself. There's going to be food, uh, games, music, and we're going to we're going to see if uh, we can get right. that that uh, word across. Well, heads up. If you're a counselor, maybe a, a pastor, a family member, friend, somebody you suspect might be going through uh, domestic violence at home, you, you may want to steer them over to the Mission Special Event Center Tuesday, October yep. 3rd. Tuesday, October 3rd, 6 p.m. for about two, three hours. There'll be some folks there that they can talk to and, and provide lots of information. Anything else, Terry, before I let you go? That's it. Hopefully we'll get a good crowd out there. And uh, just to make awareness, if you see anything or, or, or you suspect uh, uh, violence, you know, please report it. Yes, sir. Terry Palacios, our district attorney for Hidalgo County. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. A few days back, folks in Edinburgh had a chance to cut the ribbon for the new career and technology campus at Edinburgh CISD. The director of that campus is Arminda Lozano. We welcome her to the program. Let's start, if, real quick, if you could describe the 100,000-plus square foot facility. And please give me the, the quick explanation and maybe some of the careers that Edinburgh CISD kids are now on a path toward getting those certifications and those licenses by graduation time. Yes, good morning. Uh, our new facility is a state-of-the-art facility, and currently we have uh, 54 certifications that our students are able to obtain with 30 different programs of study. And in this particular building, we have three welding labs, an audio-visual production lab, a computer maintenance lab, uh, an auto tech one, auto tech two, auto collision and repair, culinary arts, we have two labs. Um, we have a cosmetology, a nail tech, two cosmetology actually, graphic arts, gaming, animation, gaming. construction, <laughs> HVAC, plumbing, health science, particularly in the areas of CNA, emergency tech, 
phlebotomy, and EKG. So we have a very wide variety of different uh, programs to offer our students. Yeah, all sorts of bells and whistles just went off in kids' heads listening to this going to school. At the yes. Gaming? What, there's there's money to be made in gaming? <laughs> that's a, that's oh, amazing. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Yes, it's huge. All right. Well, I know that in HVAC, the AC repair people, uh, plumbing, uh, electrical work, uh, learning how to cut steel or or or, or solder, uh, that uh, is, those jobs are around the corner. Uh, we have thousands of jobs coming, especially at the Port of Brownsville. We're going to thousands of jobs in developing LNG and, and ancillary companies. How do you see this massive campus at Edinburgh CISD fitting in the economy, especially when all those uh, high-in-demand jobs, uh, those, those skills, those specific certifications and, and those trades that will build stuff in the near future? Our students are going are able to learn many of the skills that are needed to go into the uh, workforce. Our career development courses are just great. Uh, our students, uh, we are we're able to do provide the skills, the training for their skills, and do the application of skills. But you're right, uh, the labor market for the port and other industries coming to the valley are just uh, there are so many jobs that are in demand and not enough people to fill them. Uh, specifically for the port in the area of manufacturing and welding, construction, we are able to provide uh, the students with the skills and knowledge base that they can go right into the workforce. The other area that's very uh, much in demand in the Valley is uh, jobs in the health science market. Mm -hmm. Um, We're able, so these are the people that were the essential workers during the time of COVID and we couldn't fill enough. So, in this particular building, we do have seven different paths for health science, uh, depending on which route the students want to go. But I'm really happy that we are starting this, the students at a much earlier age to oh, yeah. so solidify what they really want to do with their life. And, and then also take the classes and figure out whether this is something they really want to do. And if not, they could explore a different career pathway, but while they're still in school, as opposed to waiting to the outside when they actually enroll and then have to maybe retake different classes because they changed their mind. And that will extend the amount of time they have to go to school and as well it, it affects their finances. From the Career and Technology Campus, Edinburgh CISD, a few days back, leaders, they cut the ribbon to that. Arminda Lozano, the director of this new Career and Technology Campus, 54 different career paths if the students choose. And you mentioned that you can start them younger now. Uh, we're looking at for some of these grades as early as ninth grade, right? That, that they start. Some of them will start as juniors. I and mean, what normally when when is it that this technical training starts? Uh, the career path that, that they choose. So um, we have our so at this facility as we that's where we have our two hour blocks. But our students start taking CTE courses as early as really middle school. Wow. But our initial classes start at the ninth grade level. So all of our five high schools, we, we offer CTE courses. We have about 160 different classes. And uh, our staff is all distributed amongst the five high schools. And really, they take their principal's courses early on. So it would be, if you will, your introduction courses. And then they proceed and so the classes that are at the career center are your upper and more advanced level classes for what they've started as, as early as the ninth grade. Did you have any problem filling the instructor positions? Because you need highly qualified people in, in pharma, allied health, uh, master electricians, and 
folks in plumbing and knowing how to build, construct buildings, all those different fields that, that you have trouble uh, finding the individuals to, to be the teacher, the instructors for all these specific career paths? Yes, we do. We absolutely have a difficult time because they can make four times the amount of money that they make for us as a teacher, although Edinburgh is one of the highest-paying school districts. But, I mean, as an HVAC or electrician or a plumber, the, the, their income as yeah. on the private sector is much greater on the outside. So we do have uh, a, quite a challenge sometimes in trying to find instructors, but we do, and I think it's primarily those that really, uh, if you don't want to be out in the oil field away from your family, it's the individuals that are ready to settle back and, and spend more time with their family. And we offer great benefits, but yes, it, it, it presents yeah, a challenge in trying to the, find... Some of these fields are so in demand, it's like six-figure salaries for the plumbers yes. and the electricians and folks that know how to make some of these buildings. Armin de Lozano is the director of the Career and Technology Campus at Edinburgh Schools. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, Mr. Lozano, Tim Sullivan here. Just in general, because there are so many uh, fields that you've described here, but what is taught in, in these classes? Because this is the this is the introductory level for for these students the very first time they're getting a, a chance to to see what's involved here so what and and we kind of know what's taught at the later stages in these fields such as at STC or TSTC but at this very initial stage what are they learning so um, they are actually learning the same type of courses that you will if you will, at STC, because we offer the same types of certifications at our high school that you're earning at STC. Understood. And And, and in some instances, some of the instructors are STC instructors. Uh, At this particular campus, I don't have one, but they are learning the same uh, knowledge-based skills that you're learning if you're taking the course for the very first time at the STC campus. And Ms. Lozano touched on it, the equipment that they have there, state-of-the-art equipment, most advanced for HVAC, for welding. It is impressive to see the, the type of equipment that you have. That It's like the the leading equipment for some of this uh, technology. Uh, just a final thought, as, as we, we appreciate your time, just a final thought on, on some of the equipment, the labs, and, and some of the training that, that these kids are, are, are achieving there at, at Edinburgh. Um, the the equipment is state of the art. It is the latest. It's what's out there in the labor market. We wanted to ensure that what the students are learning and the equipment with how to use is what is out there. So it becomes it's it is just the most current, so that they are actually learning how to use and age. implement yeah. at, at a very young age. Yeah. So it's not very different from when you leave the classroom and you go into the workforce, you're really using the equipment that is currently out there yeah. in the industry. And uh, graduating from high school, ready uh, for all these jobs. And there's, and there's waiting lists for these programs as well at, at Edinburgh Schools. Well, congratulations, uh, Ms. Lozano, and continued success over at the Career and Technology Campus at Edinburgh CISD. That's Arminda Lozano, Director of the Career Technology School. Talk, 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 talk. Hello? Hello? Yes.
Yes. I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she to judge? Stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. With Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2, he's the water advocate for that water entity, our friend Sonny Inofosa, taking a look at the latest readings on the on the reservoir, the levels at the reservoir. And as you called it a few days back, Sonny, yeah, we're at 22%-ish. So what are the latest numbers and how many days ago was that number uh, calculated? Yeah, we we received the update yesterday around noon, and and this is for the week ending September sixteenth, and uh, we were at U.S. ownership at the at the Amistad Falcon system was twenty two point nine percent, which is you know seven hundred and seventy eight thousand acre feet, and that's like I said September sixteenth, and we we dropped you know five tenths of a percent, so you know week ending nine. 23. Of course, we'll get that report you know, next week, but we'll be at 22 and a half. Uh, that's my estimate, and um, it, it, it's not looking good. If, if nothing changes, Sergio, we'll, we'll be at 20% by the end of October Yeah. if nothing changes. Yeah, there's not much rain in the forecast either. Gang at AccuWeather and the Weather Service, Barry, everybody's saying the same thing. They're we don't have anything coming at us from the Gulf, likely over the next week or so, at least. And, of course, by mid-October, in, in roughly two and a half weeks, we're pretty much done as far as tropical season for the western Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> that's, just, that's just history. Yeah. That's just weather pattern. So, so much for the Gulf. And now we're going to be dependent on an occasional cool front stalling, maybe churning the atmosphere a little bit. It's not looking very good right now. How how much lower do you think we, without any rain, without any significant rainfall for the watershed, by the end of the year, let's forget October, we, we might hit, like you said, 20% in October. By the end of the year and going into the spring, if we continue the same pattern, where where might we be at the watershed, the, the combined ownership? We would probably shatter uh, the record of 19% that was accomplished, you know, back in 1998. Um, you know, we, we, we're missing our September rains this year and the rest of the year, normally or historically do not produce a lot of rainfall. You know, we might see a couple of inches in October, one and a half inches in November and maybe an inch in December, but that's not going to, that's not going to help us much. What does that mean for growers Uh, then going into the spring? Does that mean hardly anybody gets water come January, February, March? That's correct. You know, the irrigation districts here in the Rio Grande Valley have an association. And at our monthly meeting last week, it was commented that one of our member districts would be running out in a couple of weeks. So by the end of this month, this one district will be out of water. You know, fortunately, they do not deliver any municipal water or they'll have no municipal customers. But that's going to be the start. You know, districts are going to start running out of water. Uh, For the farmers, it means you know, another year of no water or low water. Uh, I think the majority of the irrigation districts are on allocation, so their farmers are just hanging on to that last watering or, or just uh, 
planting, you know, a fraction of their farms just to be able to, to grow a crop. And, you know, our industry is just suffering immensely. You know, our sugarcane, our citrus, you know, the perennial crops that require water year-round, uh, they're taking a beating. And all this doesn't have to be occurring. It's all because Mexico is withholding water to the United States. Our State Department needs to do something. They need to do something now. We can't wait any any longer for this. From they just I guess they just don't understand the severity of it. Yeah, well, they'll see it here at the end of the year. Unfortunately, uh, by that time, uh, well, uh, let's not let's not go there. Hopefully, we can get some rain before the end of the year. From Hidalgo County. Irrigation District Number Two. Our water advocate is Sonny Inojosa. Yeah, Sonny. Tim Sullivan here. And understanding Hello, that uh, Mexico needs to needs to pay up. Um, understanding that, what contingencies here are stakeholders working on? Because as you, you just indicated, next year uh, could indeed be devastating. There's really nothing that we can do. I mean, we we're always conserving water mm-hmm. and and we wouldn't be in this bind if mexico was delivering water to the united states as as called for by the 44 treaty they're just our our government is doing nothing about it absolutely nothing well there aren't negotiations ongoing or there there have been negotiations there are, ongoing. And, and 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 through ibwc you mm-hmm. know there's supposed to be a minute that's supposed to be crafted and, and approved by the end of the year but even if Let's just say they wait until the last day of the year to execute, and, and Mexico would miraculously start delivering water to the United States in January. You know, being the counting the way it is, we wouldn't see that till February. So we've got five months of, of little to no hope of getting any relief. Can you talk about what is being negotiated regarding that uh, that new minute uh, addendum to the 1944 I wish tree. I could. Yeah. I wish I could, but but IBWC is not divulging any of their negotiations. They don't want to jeopardize anything. Yeah. But some of the things that we've gathered from that white paper that was written is is there I think a lot of a lot of the issue is the one third two thirds, you know, where US gets one third of the of flows from the six tributaries in Mexico. And, and Tamaulipas would be the beneficiary of the other two-thirds. Well, you know, Chihuahua doesn't want to release uh, water to benefit Tamaulipas. So that that's one of the issues that I picked up on uh, in reading that white paper and also in an article that was in, in the, the newspaper over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got squabbles within Mexico, uh, but we've got our peers in Tamaulipas, you know, on our side, uh, they they need the water just right as well as we do. Yeah, from Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number Two, our water advocate Sunny Inahosa, we're at uh, just under twenty three percent. We're in the high twenty two percent and still dropping. The forecast for rain not good right now, especially from the tropics uh, where we were hoping to get some system to sit on top of Lake Falcon and, and fill up the lake. Uh, that rain. Uh, it's not in the forecast right now. We continue to drop, and we might be crossing that 19% ownership, U.S. ownership, here in, in just uh, a couple of months. I suppose if we continue to drop like this, it's not looking very good. Uh, the last time I think we brought this up, Sonny, was about 20 years ago or so. Does the water treaty in general, just the, the treaty need to be renegotiated, rewritten, 
because as, as you explained at one time, this five-year cycle, Mexico looks at it different. They'll hang on to all the water and, and, and not release till, till the end of the five-year cycle where they should be releasing, instead of that, should be releasing on, on a regular basis, uh, delivering on a regular basis to the U.S. They'll hang on and wait to the very, very end. They interpret it differently. Maybe put some, some minimum allocations, minimum distributions, minimum, I'm sorry, um, releases to the U.S., in the, in the, a there are. It's in the treaty. We have, we have a good treaty. What it lacks is enforcement. We, the United States, cannot force Mexico to abide by the terms of the treaty. The treaty very clearly states that they're to deliver a minimum of 350,000 acre feet per year unless two conditions exist, you know, one or both. And that's extraordinary drought, which Mexico is not experiencing or accident to their hydraulic system, which they haven't experienced that either. So there is no excuse for Mexico to not deliver that minimum. You know, as we speak, they're, they're behind 640,000 acre feet in, in their deliveries. And that's, that's over two years or well, two years worth of water to the United States. No excuse and, and no and consequences. We, and, yeah, no consequences for them. Exactly. Not, not delivering. All right. No consequences. It needs to be tied to something else. All right, Sonny, again, thank you for a time from Hidalgo County. Irrigation District number two, Sunny Inojosa. Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. This is News Talk 710-KURV, this radio station, exclusive play-by-play home for Houston Astros baseball. Thank you to our many supporters, including FNT Valley Motorsports and Riverside Development Services and also Hess Air. Have you noticed the price of the peso of late? Man, I recall months ago the exchange between, between the peso and the dollar. Uh, roughly, it was 21, 22 pesos, maybe 23 pesos around there for every dollar. Of late, man, I got friends looking at, at numbers like 17 to the dollar, 16 to the dollar. Wow. From Lone Star National Bank watching, uh, was watching this number and other uh, economic data from the area. My friend Sebi Haddad, one of the uh, leaders over at Lone Star National Bank, the peso. Why is it so strong, or is this more of a, a reflection of the dollar being weak? So which one is it, Sebi? No, I mean, obviously the, the dollar is still strong, but in comparison to the strengthening of the U.S. of the Mexican peso, it definitely has not uh, held up as, as much. We have seen the Mexican peso sort of appreciate, actually, since 2020. I know for the most part we all kind of accustomed to the 19 to 20, 2021 uh, marker, but realistically, it has been strengthening over the last few years. And primarily, it's all due to two main external factors. That's going to be the near-shoring boom and a significant amount of increase in the remittances. Have they been bolstering the currency by, I don't know, purchasing more gold? 
uh, sopping up a bunch more dollars. Uh, what else are they doing in Mexico City to strengthen the Mexican peso? No, well, a lot of it is basically uh, caused by what we do over here in the U.S. So they've got their central bank, right, Mexico, and their spread right now is about 575 to 600 basis points higher than our uh, than our current interest rate. And surprisingly, that actually appeals investment into their market because we see a lot of a lot of institutional money, a lot of investment money going into Mexico, primarily for the higher return. Uh, obviously, some of those countries. Latin American countries and some foreign countries with significantly higher interest rates have a lot of volatility, a lot of volatility. You see that in, in South America, Central America, but Mexico, because of its connection to the U S mm-hmm. and is surprisingly very, very stable. So they're attracting a lot of money, uh, that's being poured into the country. And it's not only sort of held, held in these overnight kind of investment accounts where they're able to get that return, um, a lot of it is really coming from the nearshoring boom. I mean, we it's see, crazy. you see that you really see that, uh, you know, Mexico just recently, I think a month or two ago, surpassed China as the largest source of U.S. imports. So Mexico now makes up about 16% of U.S. imports, and that's 3% more than China. I know we always hear China, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But China is now down to 13% of U.S. imports. And that's down from where they used to be at a high of 25% back in 2015. So imports from China have steadily decreased. And because of investment in Mexico, because of nearshoring, because of supply chain, which completely transformed after COVID, you see just this boom in industry in Mexico. I think, it's just my opinion, Sevi, by the way, from Lone Star National Bank, Sevi Haddad, joining me. I, I think that's real good news as far as national security, uh, pharmaceutical, medical equipment security, uh, manufacturing security, to, to have all these important components, uh, electronics, to be, if, if not built in the U.S., if not produced in the U.S., at least in the Western Hemisphere with Mexico, for it to be right next door, uh, so that way we're not depending on some big container ship that might go back to China in the event of emergency. At least we have it here on this side. It's only good news, and I would hope that that trend continues. What do you see? Yes. Well, we see it continuing, and not only is it going to continue, but it's not going to be short-term because the amount of money that's being poured into Mexico, you're talking about individual companies doing anywhere from a $1 to $4 billion manufacturing plant, factories, uh, shipping centers. And so they don't make that type of investment to carry themselves for six months to three years. This is now going to transform the next 10, 15, 30 years of industry. Uh, foreign direct investment rose forty eight percent from really quarter over year over year. Cool. So yeah, I mean it's going to be it's going to be a big change in sort of the supply chain. It's going to for sure benefit the United States, and I think it's going to greatly benefit the border regions. Absolutely, you see our bridges expanding, and uh, Mexico sees what we're doing, and what's happening on their end uh, is is also gr- lots of growth. Chief of Lending at Lone Star National Bank, my friend Sebi Haddad, joining us. We're talking about yeah, international trade right now at reshore and uh, the, the nearshoring, manufacturing coming back from Asia, coming back from China, setting up shop here in the U.S. or setting up shop in Mexico. Lots of factories, multinational firms in the industrial north of Mexico. And, of course, with the international bridge is going full throttle around here. we got Ansel Lewis about a year, year and a half away, maybe Donna full throttle as well. 
uh, far fattening up traffic. Brownsville uh, also fattening up traffic. So it's real good news. It, it's, it's like all the international bridge potential, the traffic that we're getting ready for in the Rio Grande Valley, it's showing up just in time as all these factories are uprooting from Asia and setting up shop in in Mexico. And it should create almost boomtown USA conditions if you add aerospace, liquefied natural gas distribution from the port, thousands of jobs there, jet manufacturing over here. What an incredible time to be living in South Texas. Definitely. Couldn't agree with you more. Any other economic data catches your eye right now that you want to share with us? Uh, most recent reports. No, a big, uh, another big part of it, really, I, you know, I mentioned remittances at the beginning, and um, you know, people question what that might be. Uh, they don't. A lot of times, we forget about the impact it has, but that's the money that workers are sending to their families in Mexico. Yeah, and that's actually risen for 38 months straight, and through the first half of the year, it's at about 31 billion dollars. And realistically, you know, you talked about is this U.S. weakening or strengthening. That level of funds going from the U.S. to Mexico is actually directly correlated to the strength of the U.S. economy. Uh, you know, so those workers are not only generating the amount of funds necessary to send money back to Mexico, but to maintain, you know, their lifestyle or living expenses here in the United States as well. Yes, yeah. uh, so that's always a, a measure that's looked at. And that $31 billion dramatically impacts Mexico's economy. Here it is, exporting prosperity and prosperity, creating more prosperity and hopefully uh, providing folks in the interior, in Mexico, a chance to raise their standard of living, make some more money, open up more businesses, more distribution, more logistics, and come shopping over here in McAllen on a more regular basis as well. So That's right. We get the benefit from that. Thank you, Sebi. Keep in touch, brother. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Sebi Haddad, he's Chief of Lending over at Lone Star National Bank. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. We understand a new budget has received a blessing from leadership at City Hall. Roy Rodriguez, or City of McAllen City Manager, joining us right now. So, Roy, who gets a pay raise in the new budget? Well, luckily, uh, the city of McAllen is very blessed. Everyone will get a, a pay increase this coming year, except the city manager. So <laughs> I'm really happy. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, well, give me some of the numbers we're looking at as far as the, the final budget numbers for McAllen. Well, you know, we, it's a very diversified budget. We have over 100 funds uh, in our budget. The total ex- appropriation is $661 million uh, starting October the 1st. Cash reserves on McAllen? Where are we right now? You know, we're in so such a good, such a good shape, uh, Sergio. Um, the fund balance for the general fund 
is $77.5 million. That yeah, represents good. 202 days of working capital, which we never want to have to use, but uh, it basically it's required by law, and then every city's got their own policy. But overall, our fund balance is projected to be $247 million. Yeah, man, 70-some-odd million dollars reserved. Well, what is that? Did we get an infusion from... COVID cash, and we've been sitting on that for a while. Where I mean, I used to, I, I recall conversations with City Hall. You guys used to say it was $30, $35 million. We're, we're twice that. So where'd all that money come from? Yeah, that, this has happened over the last few years. But to answer your question, no, none of that figure has to do with COVID money. You know, the City of McAllen City Commission really did the right thing from day one. As we started receiving those funds, we segregated those funds, called them, restricted and made sure that we could that we're going to use it for the things that you could and we identified those issues uh, the, the commission did a great job in using that money for capital so those two figures that i just gave you do not include COVID funds 77 million dollars is revenue from from other sources and of course the um, city of mccallan being the top market when it comes to retail activity by a two to one margin outpacing our biggest city, Brownsville. So McAllen is always a leader when it comes to retail. Sales tax numbers, how are we doing, Roy? You know, we did really well. Uh, as you know, um, most of the Rio Grande Valley got out of COVID uh, quickly and, 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 and in a very healthy way. Uh, we were in double digits uh, up until about a year ago. And, you know, we steadily came back to what we call normal, uh, but still, we're at about 5% year over year from the previous year, which was a record-breaking year. So to be 5% ahead of that, we're really happy and really proud of our economy and our, and our city and really the, the whole region. Well, that's good. So uh, as you know, we, we project a very conservative budget. For next year, we're projecting 2%. We should be comfortably within that um, since we saw 5% last year. Yeah, well, that's a good cushion because we got three and change inflation right now, so that's a pretty good cushion. Roy Rodriguez is our McAllen city manager. Yeah, Mr. Rodriguez, Tim Sullivan here. Back to that, uh, the big surplus, budget surplus uh, with the city. What's in your mind or the minds of the city commission for how the city might want to use that money in, in the so-called rainy day fund? Any any projects that uh, are on a priority list that those funds could be used for? Yes, uh, although we haven't identified exactly what that's going to be, uh, I will tell you the last two years at least, uh, right after we finalize the budget, the city commission comes back and, and looks at that fund balance. And what we've done is that we've transferred out money for capital. You know, you don't want to use reserves for reoccurring expenses. So, We've done that the last two years. I expect to do the, the same thing this year. We've got really big projects going on right now and, and more in the horizon. I mean, the construction we're doing at Anzalduas is, is just momentous. I'll use that word okay. uh, for us. It was a long time coming, and uh, it's under construction now. We're about to break ground on Quinta Mazatlan. That's a $52 million uh, eco project that we're very proud of. All of that is funded. So, you know, the next couple of projects are, are going to continue to be infrastructure. We're looking at redeveloping the, the buoy reservoir. Uh, that's underway uh, in a preliminary manner, but, but nevertheless, 
um, we are working on it. So I think that between the reservoir and and the desire by the commission to uh, expand City Hall, uh, that transfer will happen for one of those two projects or both. When uh, are you also? Do you have in mind um, within the city's uh, ETJ? Going west uh, to Moorefield, there's been some talk about redeveloping that area as well. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, uh, it was a historic purchase of land that we made uh, last year. We we bought over 1,300 acres between ourselves and the MEDC, uh, 1288 by the city and some 200 by MEDC. So we see that area as our future uh, for... Uh, industrial and other uh, types of uses like that. You know, we've got an old airport there that's still in use. Yeah. We think that we've got a great tool there, you know, for the next generation um, to look forward to. So we're going to have a lot of focus on that. We're going to look at infrastructure, water, sewer, streets, drainage, curb gutter, uh, and then, you know, start bringing in uh, uh, companies I mean, imagine this, Tim, if, if you could have a company that's looking to expand here in McAllen and they're bringing in freight, let's say, and we'll tell them, well, guess what? You know, we've got an area where you can land your plane, your cargo unloaded and take it, you know, by truck and five minutes you're in your, you're in your storage. That's pretty awesome. And so uh, we're very excited about that. And those are the long-term projects that, that we're responsible for. Our job is to look at the horizon for 5, 10, and 20 years and see what uh, what we can do uh, for our community. You mentioned uh, Roy Rodriguez, our city manager for McAllen. You mentioned the redevelopment of the Bowie Reservoir. Does that mean draining the thing and putting a pad on it and putting some retail or some other business on it and then moving the water somewhere else? What's, what's the uh, plan? That's exactly right. You know, actually, you've probably been hearing this for a long time. Yeah. It's been decades mm-hmm. that we've talked about the reservoir, and uh, about a little over 15 years ago, we built a new reservoir south of the airport uh, for that very reason. And so, uh, you know, we really think that it's the right time. You know, getting out of COVID uh, taught us a lot of things. And so, yeah, we would drain the reservoir. It's ready to go. I mean, we designed it so that the day we decide to develop it, uh, we just use the water. You don't even have to drain it. You use the water uh, as massive as that um, lake looks. The McAllen Public Utility will use up that water in a couple of weeks. And then you just you clean it up, you muck it, uh, fill it, and then start developing. It's a, it's a long process, but, you know, we've got a lot of experts that, that'll, you know, guide us on, on how goodness. to do that. And we've got a really good idea of the amount of time that we'll need to do it. So we're excited about that also. There's so it's much happening. It's going to be something that yeah. the region will be very, very proud of. Yeah. By when do you think we got a clean pad out there to start developing? We have a, we, we a three-year horizon to uh, have development on it. But to, to drain it and clean it, uh, we think in the next 12 to 18 months. Amazing. When do we move dirt again? Pretty, pretty soon this year or what? Yeah, well, in fact, we are we already hired a consultant to um, to help us in the geotechnical part of the project. It's kind of a kind of funny thing, you know. You can't just drain that lake, you know, immediately. You've got to take your time uh, so that you don't have any um, collapsing of the soil since it's been underwater for so long. But we're doing it now. Uh, that work, that design work, is happening as we speak. Yeah, and we've got consultants uh, helping us to determine, you know, 
what do we sell, what do we lease, how do we do it, and the timing and so on. So the commission's really engaged in that. Man, from the press box and how we could use that over at the big stadium in McAllen, construction numbers, I didn't even get to touch with you right now. Uh, final question, you can give me a five-second answer. Um, and I know that you know what I'm talking about. Are we still in the running? Yes, no, or no comment? Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially, you know, with the improvements that the school district is doing um, in partnership with us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to work real hard to, uh, to make it happen. All right. Actually, I wasn't talking about the press box. I was talking about the, yeah. the big recruitment of, of industry for the area. We've still got a big project. Oh, yeah. Oh, are, yeah. are we still in the running? We're still in the running. Absolutely. Great. Yes, absolutely. Great. All the stars are aligning. We just got get to get the right people to make the right decisions. Go get it, amigo. Thank you, Roy, our city manager for McAllen, Puerto Rico. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.